Welcome to the podcast. I'm Joanna Colbert, and you're listening to The Casting Session. I decided to create this podcast out of a desire to help actors feel more confident in their auditions. This podcast is an inside look at filmmaking through the perspective of casting. In these interviews, I'm going to provide you with in-depth, enlightening, fun conversations with the industry's top casting directors, actors, directors, and producers. We're going to cover a range of topics like the audition process and the role casting plays in the collaboration with directors and the overall craft of casting. Basically, we're giving you a behind the scenes look into the casting process. So without further ado, I bring you the casting session. Today, my very special guest, who I'm so thrilled is with us, Terry Taylor, is a wonderful casting director with credits such as Crazy Rich Asians, Get Out, Us, The Hunt, and is now the head of casting at Blumhouse, and is a very dear, longtime friend of mine, and had a very standout resume that popped out of a pile, and the rest is history. So welcome, Terry. Thank you, Joanna. I'm happy to be here. So, Terry, I would love to talk with you about the audition itself because I feel like the audition is a delicate, strange beast. Is it a form of acting? Is it separate from acting? Is it a learned skill? Is it an innate skill? Or if you're a great actor, are you a great auditioner? Um, I do think it is a form of acting. I think it's a learned skill. I think that there are really good actors who are bad auditioners. And I do think that there is something inorganic about the audition process, you know, for an audition not to qualify as acting. But if you create as a casting professional, casting director, a really warm and nurturing environment for the actor, and you try to make it as authentic as possible, and whether that means like a true understanding of the material and the scene and the character and making yourself available to the actor if you read with the actor or providing somebody to read opposite them who will also make themselves available. Um, I think that the process can be a lot more successful for the actor. So providing an environment where the actor can thrive? Absolutely. And yeah. how does that look for you? For us in our office, it's warmth, it's respect, it's time. If an actor is prepared when they come into the room, we are completely open to approaching the audition more like a, a workshop than an audition. I mean, we don't have endless time. We can't stay in there for an hour with every actor, but we do want them to make bold choices and take chances. And sometimes that means you know more than one take mm -hmm. and wanting to find a different way in to that particular mm -hmm. scene. So do you also feel that it's important for an actor to have a certain agility? Because sometimes our days get crazy and sometimes, you know, you have to throw the assistant in there because you got a call from your mm -hmm. director, right? Yeah. And yep. as much as we try to be on their side and have this great environment, things happen. Yep. It's not only about being prepared, but it is about having a certain agility and being able to um, make adjustments in the room. And if it's not happening, then we have to cut it short and move on and get out of there. For me, that doesn't mean that I'm making a judgment about that actor based solely on that audition. I'm all about trying somebody again 
like, mm-hmm. oh, I like them so much, but they really missed the mark or they were rattled or they could not make that adjustment or they could not move away from the choice that they made, which wasn't the right cho- choice for this character based on what I know from collaborating, speaking with the filmmaker. Um, we, we try them again. We try that actor again. So I've been telling actors on this podcast, and it comes up a lot, that casting directors really do have a system for marking down when we like someone, even if they are not right for that role that just they just read for. Yep. So to what you're saying, even if the actor flubs, you, you want the actor to understand you're skilled enough at your job to know that that was just something that happened in that day, but that, that they're really good and you'll bring them in again. Yeah, a thousand percent. I think that this art form is the only art form where your, you know, your instrument or your canvas is yourself and you're not first and foremost like a human and we all have human days and for whatever reason, like you couldn't actually find a meter or, you know, you couldn't get into my building because the code just was failing you and you're standing, you were locked outside and, you know, we just have all of those moments and, you know, the minute we meet, we start to get a vibe for that person, that human, that performer. And so I think that's the minute we start to make observations about there's something here that I find really interesting and that I really like. So let's talk it, about that vibe, because I, I also feel like that is the reason why casting directors sort of cannot be recognized for their craft is because their craft is based on a vibe. <laughs> I know, right? It's like the costume designer can show you their beautiful creation and the editor can show you their edits and we can't show the vibe that we see. So can you talk a little bit about that, like the actor's essence and how important that is? I know it is so important, but how do you describe it? I guess for me to explain it is, and and I try to do this and, you know, is to make notes or comments to myself, like what it is that made an impact that day like oh immediately they came in and broke the ice by being incredibly funny or charming I can't you know you can't really describe what it is you pick up on something you read their energy you read how prepared they are if they can talk about something else and then just seamlessly transition into the character that they're about to play I think it's a bunch of different things that's great so do you encourage the actor to just be themselves like be relaxed enough to just show you who they are as a person I think that's an amazing thing for an actor to be able to do, like not be completely shut off because they're so nervous and um, worried about what's about to happen with the actual reading of the lines. Have you ever had an actor, Terry, come in with a bag of props (laughs) or props in general? Yeah, yeah, bag of props, wardrobes. Like we had character that was... um, the movie hasn't been released yet, but he was discovering that he liked to wear women's clothing. Um, it was a teenage, you know, like a 19-year-old kid, and uh, and somebody brought in like pantyhose. It was also a period piece, but brought in pantyhose and a skirt. Like literally worked it into the entire scene. Didn't ask us if he should, um, but he did it. And for the most part, I 100% appreciated that wardrobe change as part of the scene. You know, it was hard to abbreviate because he like couldn't get the stockings on, you know, couldn't get the pantyhose on. And, and that maybe would might have been um, a little bit of a distraction for the actor, too. What would be your advice about to prop or not to prop? I think simple. I think very simple. Do you want to use your cell phone? Yes. Use it, if, especially if you have a phone, a notebook. You know, it's okay to ask, like, hey, can we move this table right here so I can sit at the table? Like, those kind of questions. Very simple, I think. And where do you stand on memorization? 
Can that, that falls under, I guess, preparation. I think that if you know where the scene begins and where the scene ends and are completely connected, that's why I actually like to read with actors because I like to be very, you know, kind of face to face and listening to the actor and seeing that they're listening to me. And if every piece of dialogue isn't exactly right, that's totally fine with me and most filmmakers I find. I think as long as an actor knows the scene, the actual precise words are less important. And if there's a missed word and it is important to the filmmaker, they oftentimes tell the actor, like you're in the exact right zone, but this is why it's important to say this word or this sentence as written. And better to have it there in case you need it, right? The sides? The sides, yeah, I think so. I have found like an actor having sides in a self-tape bothers filmmakers. It doesn't bother me so much, but I do think I've had more filmmakers say they, they wish they didn't have to see the pages. Back to this idea of what we do as casting directors and how it's so difficult to sort of recognize our contribution. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think when we read a screenplay and we meet a filmmaker and we start a new project, I think it's a combination of our ability to understand story, have an understanding of the characters, and if we don't, knowing like what questions to ask the filmmaker so that we can have a better understanding of the material and the characters, and then from there, diving into our database of actors to reference, go back to like a costume designer who might make a sketch, I would write down a couple of names or pull up two or three auditions that of young actors that I, or I, and not young, any actor that I immediately think of after having that opportunity to speak to the filmmaker. Um, I think our contribution is um, presenting actors that filmmakers don't know, even if it's uh, as a prototype and gets them thinking about, you know, someone else. Um, I think it is that big, gigantic database of actors that we have relationships with from all, you know, the the number of years that we've been doing it, the number of movies and television shows that we watch, our ability to kind of pick up, you know, to that vibe, you know, that essence um, on whether or not an actor is going to connect with a filmmaker and a piece of material, that perfect fit that, uh, you know, it's not just one actor in one role, it's how 10 actors can fill um, an ensemble cast in what order we would cast a role so that we get that combination of actors right. And paint the canvas. And paint the canvas. And so that goes back to like one thing I think actors would benefit from knowing is how much time we have spent with the filmmaker and knowing exactly what they want and what colors they do want on that canvas. And so the actor can trust when they meet us that we've done that work mm-hmm. already. We know what the director wants. They don't need to like prove everything and show everything to us to like guess what the director wants. We know what the director wants. Yeah, you, I mean, rely on us as a resource. And I think the way we cast projects today, especially now, like I'm collecting hundreds of self-tapes every day because we're still trying to continue to cast projects. We may not be in the room as much you know, for a very long time, but I still like to offer my help to actors. Like if you get a script and and three scenes to do a self-tape, but you have, you know, two, three big questions, call me or have your representative call me. Don't do the audition in a vacuum. Let's pretend that you're in the room with the casting director. So you can ask the question that you would ask when you walked into the room. And if there is no opportunity for some reason to ask 
the question, then do you think they should just make the bold choice and you'll be able to adjust it if you need it and have them do it again or? I think so. I think, you know, I had this quote from Robert De Niro on my wall for a really long time, and it was about actors and uh, auditioning and choices, and he, uh, the quote was something like this. Um, I always tell young actors when I'm asked, go into the room, make a bold choice. You may not get the part, but they'll remember you. And by bold, do we mean throwing a chair across the room? <laughs> well, I guess uh, there's many different bold choices, right? I think that he probably meant emotionally make a really bold <laughs> choice. But. Well, Terry, yes, you and I both have had some doozies. Yep, yep, for so, sure. I mean, I encourage actors to make use of the space, you know, like, like you do. yeah, mm -hmm. if you want to sit, you know, on the actual rug, you know, sit down on the rug, not on shit. Like, we definitely try to make use of the space. I think it is our knowledge of actors and it is our ability to sort of help the director see the film's way to the screen. The clearer the director is about what they want, the better we can be at our job. But it's also our job to suggest something they may not have thought of. I was or. just about to say that when a character is described one way on the page, whether that is gender or ethnicity or even age, you know, to think outside of that sometimes and be like, hey, have you ever thought about this? Or just bringing somebody in to audition that is really different than what's on the page and different than what they have been kind of describing to us just to try it because we had an idea that this might actually help the story. And it doesn't always um, fit with the director's vision, but there has been situations where we have gender swapped or we have, you know, gone with somebody like much older or younger than was on the page, you know, various different things, things that have worked. I'm like, that's not exactly what they're describing, but I want to try it. Yeah. Sometimes I have a list of actors to remember, like something that I saw on a TV mm -hmm. show or a performance or a theater. And I just have this list after I read the script, I think, is there anyone from this list of just people that I love that could maybe fit into this movie that maybe isn't, as you're saying, right on the page as, as written, but would the director be open to seeing a different way of casting that role? And do you feel we have a responsibility to put more women and people of color diversity into the casting process? I do. I think we have a responsibility to help bring stories to the screen that reflects the world we live in. Yeah, being casting directors can have influence. Yes, absolutely. So we're the first head of department hired, right? We have this time with the director that no other he has. And it's like beautiful and creative and it's where it's all happening. The paints are being mixed and get, you know, ready for the canvas. Um, and then cut to, as we say in the movie business, the film festival. And we are sort of long gone from the process <laughs> by the time the film festival comes around. So how do you feel about that? And how can we sort of stay connected to the process and the filmmaker so that when the Q&A question comes up, oh, how did you get this cast, dot, dot, dot? Well, my recent situation, my recent career, I've been at Blumhouse for over six years now, and I have the rare experience of being incredibly involved with movies, um, even, you know, development casting through 
the entire process, production, post, we are relied upon as kind of talent relations. So if we're going to do some pickups or additional photography or, you know, we are oftentimes helping um, to get our cast together, you know, going back to our cast and checking their availabilities and assembling them and getting them on airplanes. And I'm going to test screening. So I feel like my situation is a little bit different because I do feel very connected to the film by the time it gets um, has its distribution plan or it goes to a film festival. But I know that a lot of our colleagues do not. So I really think it's up to us. Even in my situation, it's up to me um, because I do work for, for Blumhouse and for Jason Blum, but I'm still forging relationships with talented filmmakers. And it is up to me you know, to create and maintain those relationships. And so I do the best that I can to kind of mm -hmm. check in and how is post-production going and how is the, this performance and that performance and do they are they a believable family whatever my casting question may be um, I do my best to try and stay uh, as involved as I can and it's so exciting isn't it I get yeah. so excited when I hear I really want to hear like how did they do how did my baby do <laughs> a thousand percent and when you get an email from the filmmaker like during shooting, like they rap and they're like, oh my God, you know, Jay Smith Cameron killed it today. She's yeah. incredible. Like she is phenomenal or whatever, yeah. you know. Nothing's better than that feeling, right? Oh, yeah. it's so great. And um, yeah, it's really wonderful. Like when the editor sends us an email, like this is cutting together amazingly and your cast that you assembled is, you know, just such a great piece of feedback to get. Well, that's great. I think that's really sound advice and interesting for independent casting directors to take it upon themselves to stay connected. I um, think so. And to be, you know, holistically a part of the film, obviously your relationship with the director and the producers, um, you get kind of deep in the trenches in pre-production. You have their full attention for a long time. It's kind of a glorious period, as you pointed out. But I also love to make sure I'm aware of like who's the DP and who's the costume designer and the production designer, because I feel like we are the key department heads and we together are the collaborators, you know, with the cast bringing this piece of material to the screen. So I think it's important to know like what it's like knowing the lineup on a baseball team. Like we mm -hmm. got to know who, everybody and their work and like, Oh, what did that DP do? Oh my God, we're working with the guy who, mm -hmm. you, you know, the woman, you know, who did up in the air or what, you know? Yeah. And to let the director know how passionate we are. Yeah. Wow. I really wanted to nerd out and we are nerding out. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah. So true. I know we're sort of like in the wrap-up mode, but um, maybe could you speak a little bit to the difference between independent casting and studio casting? Because you have such so yeah. much experience with both. I was um, an executive at Paramount. I was a consultant for Miramax. And um, the way I think casting executive works on the studio level, I mean, is um, largely, and this has kind of changed a little bit, but when, it, when I had that experience, it was largely overseeing other casting directors and working with the executives at the studio um, to inform them uh, on working actors and up and coming actors and keeping track of movie stars. And then being a freelance casting director, it's getting under the hood and working day to day with the filmmaker and in the audition space with actors. And that is the nuts and bolts of that job. Um, I think more and more executives are getting to cast now, which I'm sure they find that probably more rewarding. I know that I do. Um, my job at Blumhouse is kind of a hybrid. I'm an executive where I mostly oversee Blumhouse television casting, and I cast all of Blumhouse films. 
and I'm starting to cast more television, but we also hire casting directors uh, on the television side. So I think that this hybrid job is pretty perfect. Sounds like it. It sounds like they've created a wonderful environment for the casting directors. Absolutely. And I don't know that anybody else was really doing it that way before Jason decided to create this in-house casting department. And I know the idea was spawned from making low budget movies and engaging crew, you know, is expensive. You got to create a deal and you pay them week to week and there's union, you know, rates, not necessarily for casting directors, but other key department heads. But starting a casting director when a movie doesn't necessarily have all of the elements, but you only have six weeks with them to cast it it puts so much pressure on a low budget film to get the mm-hmm. film cast in that time frame if they're not ready. So he's like, if I have an in-house department that is there working to cast all of our movies, like we can, I, I mean, I can work on a movie for a year because we're trying to attach the right cast, the right location or whatever the, the situation may be. Um, but we're just ready to go. There's no starting or stopping us or number of weeks that we have to cast something like you want to list and availabilities. We can do it in 24 hours. Wow, that's exciting. So there's a portion of the episode where I talk about people's coffee drinking rituals. I'm I'm specifically fascinated by rituals, and so yeah. especially the morning yeah. one. Um, so could you tell us a little I love bit that. about? Yes, um, coffee, one thousand percent. Joanna knows my husband, Greg Taylor. He works at Netflix. He's the head of uh, animation, um, film animation over there. And we honestly say that making coffee, we do like pour over coffee and it, it's kind of like the best part of our day. Yeah. <laughs> like we are thinking about it before we even get out of bed. We're like, oh my God, it's going to be so awesome. Sure. Weather like this, like I can't wait to have a cup of coffee and just sit on my porch and it is the right way to start a day. In it my is, opinion. It's much bigger than just a beverage. Yep. It's a real treat. So I, I like to reward myself sometimes. With Harry like loves rewards. Harry would always say like, okay, well, I've done these 5,000 things. So um, it's time for a reward. And we would like walk to the corner and get candy. You know, like we deserve it. We've, we've, um, we've spoken to, you know, 20 agents and we did 25 auditions. And now we need, now we get a reward with our lunch. Well, this was absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time in your. Thank you for asking me, Joanna. Well, I feel really lucky to do what I do. So most every day, it's like a, you know, I feel really grateful and I'm super happy about. I mean, Joanna, I just will end with this. When I got the job as Joanna's intern, um, I had never worked in entertainment. I never thought about working in entertainment, and I could not believe that this was someone's job. She was the most delightful, inspiring person that I've ever met. She did headstands in the office. We talked about actors that we saw in a television show the night before. And I would go home and said, and tell my husband that I can't believe this is someone's job. And I, I can't imagine getting paid for this. It's fantastic. I wasn't really getting paid that much, but. Well, you got a um, car stereo. Yeah, I did. They put a car stereo. I was driving a car with no stereo, no power windows, there, no, 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 you know, they were very sweet to me. I think I turned 22 or something. Yep. I couldn't believe it. It's a, it's a real gift that we get to do this for a living. Well, Terry, thank you so much. Thank you, Joanna. And to my audience, thank you for listening today. I hope you found the episode enlightening. It's really my true desire to share a unique perspective on the casting process and help you feel more confident and inspired. 
The podcast is available on Anchor and Spotify. For new episode updates, you can follow the show on Instagram at The Casting Session. Please feel free to share this with your friends and write a review. And tune in next week for more behind-the-scenes gold. I'm Joanna Colbert, and I'll see you at the next casting session.